Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everybody. It's Nick Bradley here, and welcome to another episode of Scale Up Your Business. So today we are going to be doing another one of um, the Entrepreneur in Focus series. So for those of you who have been listening to the podcast recently, you'll know that I've been bringing different entrepreneurs onto the show because one of the things I'm keen to get across is that everyone's journey is not the same. It's definitely not linear. There are different challenges and different opportunities and there's a a common thread which I'll get into today around those different stories. So today I'm delighted to be bringing to the show a lady by the name of Wendy Shands. So Wendy is someone I've known for a little while now. I consider her a good friend. She's the founding director and CEO of a travel business called Tots to Travel. Now, to be really specific, it's a family travel business. And the reason I wanted to bring her onto the show is not so much because I like to bring a different range of, let's say, industries and different types of businesses. There is definitely that. But more importantly, there's some stuff around Wendy's journey that I think is a really strong parallel with what a lot of people go through, certainly when they're starting and scaling a business. And the the key challenge I think I want to call out today on the episode is have a really good listen to the journey of scale-up and what needs to get into it. So without um, stealing Wendy's thunder, I just want to call out a couple of things that certainly impressed me as we were having the conversation. The first thing is um, the importance of culture and how you build teams. Now, we've touched on this beforehand in previous episodes, but just have a listen to how deliberate and focused Wendy is when she gets into um, analyzing who's right for her business and who isn't, and actually how she engages them. There's some really interesting points in there in terms of how she almost, it's not so much a system, but it's a very, very conscious focus on making sure that the right people are in the right seats and they are aligned on her vision. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, Wendy is an absolute visionary. So back to um, the Proposition podcast I did a few weeks back, and I said, you know, one of the most important things is you need to have a clear problem to be solved. Well, have a listen to Wendy's story around the problem to be solved and why she got to that. So her background before she got into um, sort of having a travel business was um, PR and marketing. But actually, her journey before that was lots of traveling when she was a a child with her family. And there's a a lot of nuances that come together, which I think is really interesting when she shares with you how she's done that. But the story as to why she launched Tots to Travel, you know, really, really powerful. So have a listen to that. And I suppose the third thing is just the, and this is towards the end of the podcast. So if you want to kind of jump ahead a bit, um, the importance of personal development uh, this this concept that you always need to grow, you always need to develop, and you know to to be you know really frank, um, Wendy's created like an eight figure business over sort of thirteen years, and that's not easy. A lot of people think that you start a business and it scales quickly and all that sort of thing. This this is a a lesson, if you like, in resilience. It's a lesson in, as I said before, focus and mindset. 
but it's it's what Wendy and and her her partner um, Rob have had to do over those years to sort of flex and pivot and stay committed to the vision to create a successful business. So heaps in this. It's a reasonably long um, interview, if you like, a chat. It's more of a conversation. So um, as I said beforehand, if you um, have any feedback for Wendy, there'll be some stuff in the show notes, and I'm more than happy to pass your details on to her. Um, But without further ado, let me introduce you to Wendy Shan. Uh, Hi, everybody, and today I'd like to welcome Wendy Shan to the show. Now, Wendy is the founder and CEO CEO of Tots to Travel, Um, and I'm going to let her sort of get into kind of what she's built and why. But today, I think one of the really interesting things about our conversation is going to be um, some of the things that she does outside of, of, of her entrepreneurial journey to kind of keep her focused and successful. So welcome to the show, Wendy. Well, thank you very much for having me. So, um, so first, let's, um, as I said, this, this uh, Entrepreneur in Focus um, series, if you like, is really about, some, in some cases, the nuances of what's happening outside of you know, how you've you know, scaled a business and grown a business. But just to kick off, um, take us through what uh, Toss Travel is. Well, today we are a specialist holiday resort company for families with young children. Um, That means that we have created resorts um, all over Europe that um, specially cater for the needs um, that families have at that time in their lives, particularly when they've got babies and toddlers and preschoolers. It's a very intense time of life and um, you need a, a very special place to in which to have your holiday, Got it. And, and that's what and that's what we've Interesting. done. And so why and why did you start it? What was the what was the sort of where did the idea come from? Oh well, we've been going for thirteen years. Yeah. I I'm now the proud mother of teenagers. But in in when I was in that phase of trying to work out how do you holiday with small children, I um I, I recognised that it was a really difficult thing to answer. Um, we tried several things. We tried a, a Mark Warner holiday when we had our first first baby um, and found ourselves all in one bedroom cooped up um, with with him waking up at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, we've had that experience. Yeah, that's no fun, is it? And, <laughs> it's not fun. And not no. only are you conscious about the rest of the people in the hotel and the noise you're making, but also you, you, you then spend your time working out what to do between four o'clock and eight o'clock in the morning when somebody finally opens up some breakfast. Um, so, <laughs> yes, okay, got it. And then what do you do from seven o'clock in the evening when you put your baby to sleep while you sit in the bathroom with a beer, which is really no fun. Um, yeah, so I've had that with my wife. where we, We've made this decision, um, and, and a lot of the listeners know my wife's sort of into sort of family travel as well and as a blogger mm-hmm. but we now sort of always make sure we've got apartments with a couple of bedrooms so yes. that we can at least have a night you know doing something whatever that is it might be yeah. watching tv or having a drink somewhere or just but, reading a book anything but even reading a book when yeah. you're in kind of like one sort of room yeah. as you know with a torch yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, sitting, or sitting in the hallway or in the bar we've done all no, sorts, it's not really what you call relaxing holidays it really isn't and i think so that was that was the that was the first holiday the second holiday we then had two children and yeah. so we'd learned from the first one so we we thought, oh, well, let's rent a house in France. Um, at least that way we'll have more space. The kids can have their own rooms. We can have a, a kitchen and, and more or less try and keep in the routine. Um, so this was, remember, this was 13 years ago. And the internet was a very different place 13 years ago. I was doing some um, searching for what I now know to be keywords, um, yep. you know, baby-friendly holidays, toddler-friendly holidays, that sort of thing, and realizing that um, there were 
um, there were uh, holiday cottages or holiday villas out there that uh, were very proud to claim they had a cotton high chair. And I would look around the house thinking, well, that doesn't get us very far, actually. When I look around the house, that we, you know, there's, that doesn't even touch the sides, especially as we had two children in cots and two, two high chairs. Um, so my parents, my parents very kindly said, well, listen, Wendy, why don't you just book a place that looks nice and we will drive everything down to France because we fancy a road trip. So that kind of solved that issue. And we, we then really benefited from the budget airlines of being able to fly out of Southampton at very low cost into Bergerac with very short um, uh, journeys to the airport and so on. So it was really clear that actually the, the budget airlines had, had opened up large tranches of Europe um, to families like ours, making it very, very easy. But then when you got there, it wasn't very easy to find the right accommodation. Um, and the, 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 the low point, the very, very low point of that holiday was not, not only did we spend the entire time trying to keep everybody alive, but our eldest son, Barnaby, fell into an unenclosed swimming pool while oh, we were wow. there. Um, and, if, and there are many families who have had some situation like this. Were um, you guys around at the time? We but... weren't very far away, but he was, we, you know, you don't need to turn your back for very long no, 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 to, exactly. to, to know yeah. that they actually, and it's not a big, large, splashy affair. It's a, they slip in and then they sink. And um, he, and you, you kind of think, oh gosh, you know, they're going to start swimming. But of course they're not going to start swimming. They're, they're, unless you've done um, water babies or some of those, some of those No, they've got things. no idea what they've to got do. No That's idea a totally what to different do. environment for yeah. them. Yeah, exactly. So we, um, so we we did save him, and we were very we were very lucky. Um, but I know now that thirty children have died in pool accidents in the last six years alone, and and it happens a lot on holiday because people people begin to relax, and as they relax, the adults lose. You know, you you, you lose. You just be, you begin to ease into it, and you lose the right. You're looking after him, and you're looking after her. Well, that, the, the routine changes. The, the routine it? changes. So, you know, when you're there, you're there to change. relax, and you're kind of thinking yeah. it's not even just having a glass of wine. It's the fact that you kind of just, you know, you're letting yourself have that time as well. Totally. I get it, totally. So, so that was that was the big thing that happened on that holiday, and we were, you know, that was one of those sliding door moments where our lives could have gone in a very, very different direction. I came back from that holiday, um, and and just couldn't understand why the travel industry wasn't better suited to families with small children. I'd lived in, you know, some of the postcodes in London, like Putney and Wandsworth. You can't move down Putney High Street for baby, for, for, for mums pushing prams. So I knew there was a massive market. And I just, and I was looking, you know, even when I'd phoned up some of the travel companies and I was saying, you know, can you tell me if there's a cause? Can you tell me how this will work? They couldn't tell me that, that level of detail, the kind of detail that for me was plainly obvious. And so I, there were, there was this question, well, is it a really rubbish idea? And there's a good reason the travel industry aren't doing this. Or is it actually, is this actually a massive opportunity? And, um, and I think my curiosity got the better of me. So what were you, so just jump back a step, what were you doing before that, like mm -hmm. work-wise or mm -hmm. career-wise? Well, I had come out of university and was working in marketing and PR. Okay. Um, I did that for a few years before meeting my husband, Rob, who was um, training to be a fast jet pilot in the Air Force. Right. And... As it became as it became clear that our relationship was going from strength to strength, and then we we did get engaged and, and ultimately married, I realised that my my big London marketing career was was going to be left in tatters as as we went to live in some far flung some sort corner. of forces part of the world. Yeah, yeah where you, exactly, and, and <laughs> yeah. by definition, you can't fly you can't fly fast jets over London city airports. Um, yeah. You can only fly them in in the most remote 
parts of the country. So that sort of left my marketing career in, in a bit of a, a bit of a, a sad way. And that was the years before sort of freelance and kind of being totally. able to work virtually. Yeah, we're absolutely. Talking, you said 13 years or thereabouts, aren't we? Well, well this was, so I'm, so we've been married 20 years this, okay. this year. So, um, you know, this is, this is long before uh, freelance world and, and, and all the platforms that we know that allow people to do that. And also we were quite young. I had, I'd probably done three or four years in, in, in the city before I, before I, Got married, and so, and so nothing in the travel area at this point. I'd done a season with Mark Warner. Okay, so you, oh, that's cool. So yeah. you actually you understood the experience of that yes. and how they ran it to yes. some extent. Yes, I done, and I'd done I'd done quite a lot in that. I'd done, um, you know, I'd been a, a nanny, I'd been a chalet girl, I'd been all sorts, you know, done all sorts of bits and pieces. But also, I think part, uh, probably a crucial part of this story is that I have grown up and lived overseas all my life, so I don't see. I, I, I think I don't see any boundaries between countries. I see opportunities. I, I see a, a world without, without There's a couple boundaries. of things you said there which you may reflect back on and they just mm -hmm. jumped out as you, were, as you were speaking. But I always think there's, um, there's different pathways in life, right, that you kind of you know when you're on the right pathway because yeah. things become more congruent. So even the fact that there was a lot of travel, as you said beforehand, there was a little bit of that experience in the travel industry. The marketing mm -hmm. and PR stuff, when we get into what yeah. you do now will become quite a bit. It almost feels like this was meant to happen. I think I think it's incredible. Actually, you couldn't plan it. You really couldn't plan it with the with 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 any degree of of, of accuracy. Actually, how how well aligned everything yeah. has come. So yes, I grew. So I grew up. Um, I was born in Africa. I lived in the Middle East, Far East, America, um, and so I think I had profoundly understood the importance of travel and and. Um, experience for children as they grow up and what were your just if you mind me asking what were your parents doing when you all that travel yeah. were they sort of in an industry which then facilitated that so as well? my, my parents were born in africa as okay. well so so they they were ex, they they were from colonial families and then they were expats thereafter okay. so my dad worked for an american bank um and it was the bank that posted us from place to place we then ultimately ended up my sister and i at boarding school and and i think when i really look at why i do why why i'm so passionate I, the, about what we do it's because my parents actually ended up traveling without us and this our business is all about traveling with your children interesting so, so even that in its own right is, is back to the mission of what you do now and, and yeah. you know we've spoken about this kind yeah, of off yeah. the recording there's yeah. a lot about that connection yeah the family connection yeah totally um and so and so yes the the, the value of family is 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 very very strong within me it's very strong within the business and this idea of, of families traveling together and having experiences together the importance of um new tastes colors sights sounds it's it's so in in me and and i feel so passionately about it and then and then i was hearing lots of my friends saying oh well we're going to go to cornwall again this summer and i go oh. you know lovely i love cornwall there's nothing there's it's the most amazing place but people go to cornwall for eight or nine years on the trot because they're scared of traveling elsewhere yeah. and and i think um the experience of having very small children is a very um the world you know it's a very in isolating small place to be you know you, you've you've made a big achievement if you've been to tesco's that day yeah you know that it's it's not it's the opposite of opposite of expansive so your point before around so obviously this is kind of again it works with how you've grown your business but um the onset of the airlines the easy yes. jets and the ryanairs yeah. as such the cheaper ones but also going to kind of more remote places yeah do you think that opened up the travel market then for more people to be thinking about overseas travel? I think it's certainly, yeah, I think it's been really important and I think it's been really crucial to um, 
to, to, to families with, with small children who don't want to travel large distances. They, they you know, flying into Bergerac and then driving 30 or 40 minutes to, to your holiday accommodation is, is, really, is really manageable, isn't it, with small children? So I think it's been, and those, those airports are so easy, you know, by comparison to Heathrow or, or the Gatwick, you know, to, 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 to go from um, East Midlands or, or some of our local airports to local airports in France. It's a really small, manageable experience. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I'm hugely grateful to, to, to those routes opening out. I think they, 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 they showed me that it was possible to, to go further than, than Tesco's. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, think I, I think I've found that the, the, the phase of having very small children um, very um, just, it felt like the world closed in when I'd actually been quite expansive before yeah. that. Well, particularly if you were traveling a lot and those things, and it does. I mean, I, I've found from, since we've had our two girls, there's a piece where we travel a lot, partly because my wife was a flight attendant, so her yeah. background was very much about travel mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So we've done a heap of flying, and we, we invest, I think it's probably the best way to put it, on the experiences that they have, yeah. because at that age, two, two reasons for it. One is, it's great for them to have exposure to different cultures at that age, yeah. you know, because there's a lot of formation yeah. around how they think about things, and so we've done a lot of that. The second thing is that connection, that family connection at that age when the kids are younger, it's more difficult when they get yeah. older. Certainly, you can, yeah. you know, I, my kids are young, but I can see it. Yeah. So actually, the investment in that time is massively important. Yeah. I think most, most families just come at it from a place of fear. Yeah. You know, if you, especially if you haven't done a lot of traveling yourself. I mean, you're Australian, so you've, you know, you, the, the world is world has been your playground, really, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. Um, it had to be because you know you have to you have to get out of Australia. Yeah, it's lovely exactly. to be there. There's, there's not much around. It's a, it's a big country. Uh, well, many many people are, are come at it from a place of from a place of fear, and and that's really been um, part of my mission is to is to make it a less fearful experience for families because it's so important, and and it's and it's important from an educational perspective, but it's also so profoundly important. Um, as, an, as, as really the only chance in the year where, where the world stops spinning for long enough to, for you to remember who each other is. Yeah. At that point, to, re, to reconnect, to recharge, to spend quality time together. I don't think that really happens at Christmas. I think Christmas is a bit bonkers, isn't it? Um, so actually, the only time you can do it is when you physically take yourself out of your home environment and, and put yourself somewhere else where you're not distracted by... Um, social media by the laundry by needing to go to the supermarket you know all of that um, and everybody's in the same place I think that that time together is so so precious wow um, can we so we just to go back a step because I the, the, the piece you were saying about your son Barnaby mm -hmm. so I mean obviously that's I mean massive in terms of just changes your whole thinking yeah as you said the sliding doors might yeah. totally get it so what happened then so did you come back you, you must have been thinking I need to make a difference here or something something did something click and change for you um, or? I think two two things happened was partly we my my parents and, and us we bought a house in France on that on that holiday so okay. I was interested in the property market and 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 interested in in what was going on in in France I'd I'd lived in France so I spoke French and felt very comfortable there um, I'd also I also received in the post um, a feedback form from the owner of the villa that we'd stayed in and he had said how could I make this better for you and I very helpfully wrote him a very long list of all the things that would have made our lives much much better so things like stair gates and potties and and you know actually plastic cutlery you know, plastic cutlery I'd, I'd taken um, I'd taken all sorts of things and um, and then he went oh that's very kind we're actually selling <laughs> okay so that's a really unhelpful unhelpful piece of feedback for you um, but I looked at that list and I went gosh that's not very difficult I don't really understand why why aren't owners 
doing this there's a massive market out there and they're not doing it and, and is that because they don't know to do it is it because they can't reach the market whatever so I began to kind of formulate in my head this this idea that if I could target market with my marketing my nascent marketing background um, if I could target market families with small children would would that be of value to owners to villa owners in France as so matching, my, in many cases, matching that target market, as you said, to... Better design product. Product, okay. Yeah. And um, the, the, the theory was that I, I could see that the people who owned property in France could rent July and August out hand over fist. If they, they could, they, you know, they were absolutely sold out, but they had empty weeks outside July and August and what I now know to be called distressed inventory. And... So I was my, my hypothesis at that time was well if I could if I could encourage property owners to do more to niche market to families with under fives, could I bring the, that market to these properties? So I, I had a conversation with I began to have conversations with owners in in France and these actually are British owners um, okay. so they understood. They, so you, you just called them up. You... I just called them up and I okay. said, listen, I've got this idea. Um, would it be valuable if I bought you? A segment of the market who choose to travel outside July and August and they said well do you think you can do that and I said well I don't know but I, I'm, I'm up for giving it a try I don't think it's not going to cost you anything to do um, I think I think if, if you if you agree to um, fencing your pools and most, most in, actually in France the pool laws are tighter but not brilliant but every, so every every property I need to my mind every property had to have a, um, a pool enclosure yep um, it had to have um, stair gates, and I and I I said I'll come out and I will tell you what you need to do, and then we'll we'll put it onto the onto a so simple. So the cost website. to them is just making sure it's child safe. Yeah, whatever, was, whatever the, the points yeah, are that you were doing. Exactly, and if they had already had a fenced pool, then then the total cost was going to be low hundreds. Right, um, and this is just and to go back a step again. Just the list that you did from that trip, you know, your ideas. If you like to give feedback to the yeah. owner, you already yeah. had the list. I, so I you knew, were suggesting I, they needed this, they needed that, totally. maybe some toys, whatever. Yeah, totally. And that was it. If yeah. they did that, then you could find the audience. Yes. And then you would, and we'll get into this, of course, the business model in a second. But, yeah. you know, if you've got that audience and you've got, you're matching and you're making money off the margin of those, yes. those pieces. That's okay. exactly, exactly it. So I, start, I, I'm, I managed to persuade, and it wasn't particularly difficult, I managed to persuade nine property owners in France, in the Dordogne, so in a very tight area of France, um, to come on to a very baby website, you know, very sort of tight, a very early, early. And it was simple. called Tots to Travel at that point. It was at that point. It was called Tots to France. Tots to France. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And um, and then I wrote a couple of press releases. So I had these nine properties loaded up onto the website, and I wrote two. I, I wrote two press releases announcing our announcing our launch. The first press release was designed for the travel press, and the second press release was designed for the business press. And those got picked up by the Times on two two um, subsequent weeks, one in the travel press, one in the business press. I, I was sitting um, in a cafe in Portsmouth. We were living in Portsmouth at the time, and I got a phone call on my mobile, which hardly ever rang. I'd just been at a music with mummy class with you know my, my two babies and friends, and it was a the features editor at um, the Times saying, "I really like your story. Can I send a photographer? I want to write about you." And that, and so there was none of your own sort of PR background influencing this at this yeah, point. There yeah, was a bit of that. that. That was it. That was that was that was that was the start, really. The, wow, the, the okay. fact I'd had a bit of PR background, written these two press releases, um, and they and and the the luck, if 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 one calls it that, that they would get picked up, and um, 
so these two these two subsequent weekends when the 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 we got the coverage led to our first twenty five thousand pounds worth of bookings within about six weeks. Wow. And and that was we launched the business in April, which we now know to be a really rubbish time to launch a travel business. If you're going to launch a travel business, you do it before Christmas because the big I was sales. Say people have booked, haven't they? <laughs> yeah. I, I get the yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it's distressed to some extent. Isn't it? People totally. booking late or whatever. Um, but but that was enough. I mean, it blew us away. Actually, it was it was enough. It was enough to to suggest that there was something in it. And then and then it just it just grew from there. More more press coverage led to more more owners across France and then Italy and then Spain saying I want to come on the site because actually I really I, I really want to fill those weeks outside peak season so we did that for quite some time uh, 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 very quickly moving the the brand under tots to travel rather than individual websites called tots to France tots to Spain tots to Italy um, just for simplicity and and grew from there and that worked really well for the first few few years villas are quite tricky to sell because they're each of them very difficult, very yeah. different. Um, to scale um, to a thousand villas means a thousand different owners, a thousand different pricing I mean, strategies. Yeah, the administrative administra- nightmare of that. Oh, totally. Way. I mean, even down to you know, how do you get your key to get in is a th- is is different a thousand times. You know, a thousand different pin codes or a thousand different. Yeah, wow. You know, so so the the administration and the scaling and the finding very difficult, but also. Once you've sold the 16th of August, you can't sell it again because there's only one week. It's like having maybe if there are 20 weeks in the season in France, you, it's a bit like having 20 cans of beans on the, on the shelf. And once that one can of beans is gone, you can't sell it again. So obvious scaling challenges. Yes. Um, so that so that so we, 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 we persevered for, for a few years and and grew different countries, different different villas, tested experimenting with different types of villa all the, all the time. you know is rural good is is in villages good? is this part of France good? you know so there was a lot of experimentation. You can imagine the number of variables there are in that. And this was mainly at the stage you, or you had enough scale to have a few people working with you. Uh, it was mostly me and me and Rob. Right. Uh, Rob, and so Rob's still doing his. Oh yeah, still, still at that point. Fast jet yeah. flying around, whatever yeah. else, and then you're. So this is like almost like a. Oh yeah, I'd love to know you, how you managed your time here. <laughs> we'll get into routines oh, in a minute, uh, but was this like a? And the, and you were hundred percent dedicated. I take it in terms of well, you had the kids, of course. Yeah, I had two small children, so I was kind of part time in the beginning. So there's no. Um, what was the TV show back then? Miami Vice or something. No, no Game of Thrones, I would say. <laughs> no, no time. Game of Thrones. No Game of Thrones. No, I mean it was it was do do as much. I I did put the children into. So I invested in child in in nursery. Yes. Um, I in in choosing in. I well, we missed a bit of the story actually. I then went after I after Rob and I got engaged. I did my teacher training. Okay. So I I went and taught early years early years um, and key stage one got in you. a primary school um, until I had. Barnaby. I went back to teaching shortly after I had Barnaby, but then the real kibosh to my career came when when Rob Rob's job got moved to North Wales. Right. And unless you speak Welsh, you can't teach. So so I was a stay at home mum. In answer to your previous question, I was I was at home with the kids um, on an island off the north coast of Wales, which is very very beautiful, but very I found it isolated. isolating. Yeah, I get it. Um, particularly particularly having had quite a an, an, an international. Um, experience previously um, and and so I, I was doing all the good things that that I, I don't I just don't I actually wasn't cut out to be very honest I wasn't cut out to be an Air Force wife and I wasn't cut out to be a stay-at-home mum I I, I I found a lot of a lot of it quite tedious actually and and I and I needed I needed to do something so I suppose I was looking for something to do and I was also I also was looking at, at 
really what military life meant and that meant a lot of moving around it meant we moved house every 18 months Rob was away an awful lot um, in dusty war zones um, he was doing a lot of peacekeeping in the early days he was doing a lot of peacekeeping missions over Kosovo and Bosnia you know he was doing an awful lot of night flying so I was I was quite a I was quite alone a lot of the time with two small children and I was looking at, at the trajectory of military life and his career was his career was going fairly stellar at this point and I was thinking Oh, I'm just not sure I'm really cut out for this. You know, the 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 journey as an Air Force wife of a very senior officer is to be the person doing ladies' lunches and arranging flowers in the mess, and I just, you know, hand on heart, wasn't, wasn't really wasn't you wasn't your wasn't really cut out for that. Um, and so I I was, I, we launched the business, and I um I said to, I, I remember Rob and I went out for a really rare date, date night, and I said to him. You know this military stuff. I'm just, I'm just really not sure that it's what I'm up for. And and he had just been promoted, so he was, you know, he was, he was sitting there going, I'm, I'm, I'm great. This is, this is, this is, this is going well as far as I'm concerned. But he's got me sitting opposite, going, I'm just not sure this is what. <laughs> we and so this is, this is obviously between the sort of teaching piece and before. Tots. We're just in the early days of tots, in the very, very so you had early started days. The business very early days of tots. Very, you okay. know, like first. So you had few something months. at least that was a potential for you to do, yeah, not the I, Air Force mess. Yes, thing. yeah, and, <laughs> so, and something that was was portable, and something that ultimately I was thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be good if this was would be something that would allow Rob to leave the Air Force and for us to create our lives together. And so let's, I mean, let's just go into that a little bit because I think there's there's a whole heap of stuff around how you've got the business to where it is today. And mm-hmm, we need to sort mm-hmm. of to talk a little bit about that mm-hmm. as well. But in those foundation points, when you're having the conversation, because I mean, a lot of the stuff we talk about with um, on the podcast that's come up a few times in previous uh, entrepreneur focus interviews is around mindset yeah. and belief and values and vision, all those sort of things. A lot of um, entrepreneurs, when they start businesses, don't get those things set up. They, and the thing you've articulated really well is the problem to be solved. Yeah. And the problem to be solved has come from a reasonably painful moment. Yeah. But you know, you, you're very clear, actually, there's got to be a better way to do this, yeah. which is fantastic. But what, just talk to me through what you guys had to do personally to kind of get you know, your heads around that change. And, and what was, you know, what was the, the sort of decisions you had to make? Because obviously there's a few things that Rob had to make in that. Yeah. And you had to make, focus, all sorts of different stuff. Just take us through that a bit. Oh, it's been a very long journey. And I think the starting point is in realising that we're both very, very different character profiles. So we, I, I'm, I'm really, one of the things I'm really passionate about is, is actually understanding. We've talked a lot actually in the past, haven't we, about profiling yeah. people. One of, the, one of the things that I think has been most important to us is understanding our different personality profiles. Um, I use, I happen to use a, pro, a platform called Talent Dynamics. So I know, I know that I'm a very strong creator yeah. which means that I'm all about the vision, I'm all about the future, I'm all about looking ahead, and I can see how something can pan out. Yeah. Rob, by contrast, is is an accumulator, which means, and what would you call that in, in your disc terms? Um, so, it's normally an integrator. Yeah, People so an who integrator, can put stuff yeah. together. So visionaries, yes. I mean, I'm like you. Yeah. Right? I can see things, and actually I can see things very clearly before they're formed. Um, we've got cats in here, everybody, by the way, so you can hear some background noise. Um, but integrators are the ones who can normally take that vision and make it practical. Yeah, that's exactly what he is. And he's he's very detailed. He's very, um, yeah. he's, he's you know, and, and that's he's exactly what you'd want from a fast jet pilot. You know, exactly, very, very attention to detail, lots of data. And, and it took some while for us to realise our different personality types. 
and why actually when I would wake up in the morning and go, oh, I know what we should do today, we should set up a travel company, that he would he would look slightly like um, that was perhaps the worst idea on the planet. Um, and personality types like that, um, when, you, when you suggest something new, they automatically go to the 600 reasons why something is not possible, all the questions you've got to answer. Um, creators, by contrast, don't worry about how it's going to happen. They just they just go ahead and, and they can see it, they can feel it, they, they work intuitively. They don't need the data like, like, uh, like um, people like Rob. And so I was feeling my way along so you didn't, I mean, obviously you didn't have these profiles done then when you started no. the business, but you've obviously had to bring them in. Yeah. And I, a question with, with your, I mean, how many people do you employ now? We've got 30. 30. And do you use the same thinking now when you're totally. building your teams? Totally. It's really important to wow. me. Wow. Okay. It's so really that's interesting. And that's, and so that's how you can then sort of work out whether people are going to be successful in their roles, I take it as well. It's, it's fun. It's, there's, there's something quite altruistic about it, actually, uh, that I I. F- fundamentally believe if people spend more time in flow, i.e. doing the things that they love and are hugely passionate about, that is where they their brilliance is. Yes. Um, and that is where they are very happy. And, and if we can align that with roles that we have in the business, then they come to work being happy, fulfilled, in flow, and that they in turn, and, and, and I suppose from a business perspective, we see the best value out of them. We understand where their strengths and weaknesses are and where, where to get the best out of them. And by contrast, when we see behavior that doesn't make sense, then we can understand why it's happening. Um, so this sounds, it sounds like this is pretty much by design. So we're talking a lot about culture here as well. Yeah. So you're very, I can imagine from some of the stuff you've said, you're very deliberate about what that needs to be. Yes, I'm, I, uh, yes, I'm, and I'm very, this maybe is another whole conversation, very, being very deliberate in the culture that we are creating in the business. Okay. Um, so it's an important, it, it's, it's, it probably is a longer conversation for sure, but it's definitely as, there are principles in, in scale up. Yeah. There are principles in yeah. how you get right. And what most people do, just to kind of jump in on it, and I always say some entrepreneurs are better at one than the other. Sometimes yeah. that's not the case. That's so not a blanket statement. But what you find is there's a different type of personality, energy, skill set, mindset mm. in those mm. journeys. Mm. The difference between a startup to a scale up is often culture and the ability to be able to bring in the right people and to yeah. be able to leverage tasks. And I think that's the that's you can't do that. You can't scale. And that's the biggest the biggest challenge. Um, I think back to your point about you know the journey we've been on in terms of mindset was to understand our two personality types. Now, if you if you map our personality types, so Rob and myself, we don't overlap at all. But it does mean that we've got really quite good coverage over the over the whole over over overall over the whole map, as it were. Yeah. Um, it was just a question of understanding our strengths and strengths and weaknesses and, and why we come at things differently and not and try not to piss each other off too much in the process. At what point did you work this out? Because obviously it wasn't the beginning. No, it wasn't. It <laughs> wasn't the, the beginning. It, wasn't, no, and it certainly wasn't no. the conversation when and, his career is doing this and you're saying, I want to go. Because obviously it must have come together and you must have had a, a, a reasonably interesting conversation, to put it mildly. We had a, we had a, so, so, so I suppose I was having these initial conversations in in that in those early early months of tots with him and try and I suppose what in retrospect I was trying to do was sell him on the vision. Yes. Sell him on what was a, what we could do and what what that would mean for us as a family. And the vision, just to, to articulate it, I mean, a couple of questions. Firstly, at that point, what was it? If you can remember, yeah. you've mentioned it sort of in our conversation yeah. already. But if you could artic- articulate it again, I think at that at that point it was to have a website of family friendly villas across France. Okay. And then, I, then the blinkers came off, and I went, "Oh goodness, this could be more than just France. This could be Spain, Italy, 
Portugal. Um, and so, the, so, so, uh, so at different points, there's been a, a kind of like some doors have opened up to to the to the range of possibilities. Right. And then, so, so, that, so there's this under, there's this emerging understanding of our two personality types, which you're right has been a, has been a journey in itself until until we actually found the tool. But then even after that, um, it's in understanding that it doesn't it doesn't all land on day one. All this knowledge it it, it comes over time, doesn't it? And then. The big change for Rob was that we went to France to stay with his his cousin, and his cousin is married to a business coach, and this, he Lawrence coaches stockbrokers and um, very highly paid hedge fund managers and so on, who who, who for, with whom he's trying to eke out just tiny marginal gains in performance, which make a big difference to mm. to the number of zeros on the end of what they're able to make, and he coaches can't help but coach, can they? And Lawrence couldn't help but coach Rob and he, and he was saying to Rob look Rob you're telling me that you on the one hand you want this fast whizzy air force career but on the other hand you you want this you want um to remain married because that I I think in all honesty that was probably not likely to happen if he carried on in his whizzy career um you want to remain married you're very very you've got very distinct ideas about what parenting means and to be a present father in your children's lives you've got this nascent business that's coming frankly those two routes do not overlap and so you've got you've got two choices really you're at a you're at a y junction you can either go whizzy career and probably single dad you know, divorcee, that kind of thing. But you'll have your great career, so it'll be fine. Or you can, or you can choose choose the the alternative route. And to give Rob credit, he came back from that holiday and on the Monday handed in his notice to the Air Force. Wow, so I, that, I, I mean that's a great story in its own right. I'm forever, I'm forever. Ever and you were supportive all. of all this. Well, hugely because I could see the potential. I couldn't quite see how we would make ends meet. Um, but I could see that if we put if we put our energy behind one thing, we would be we would you be. Should, um, there's an episode I did actually one of the first ones I did called "Burning the Boats." Do you know what that means? No. Oh, oh, maybe you, where you where you literally throw. Well, throw, the, the, throw the old your... saying, and it, it came from. A, it, I heard it first from Tony Robbins, but I don't think it was he who said it first. But the the story is. To take the island, you've got to burn the boat. Yes. So the only way you're getting off the island is to take the opponent's boat. Yeah. So yeah. therefore, if you've got no, there's some great stories around that. If you've got no alternative, if you haven't got a fallback plan, you know, everyone has got a fallback yeah. plan, but you know, yeah. you've psychologically moved yourself into a different yeah. lane, yeah, um, then you're going to be more successful. I totally believe that. I absolutely 100% believe that. And and um, and and that is that has always been my strategy which is which is quite high risk strategy actually but i think it's i i think it i i knew i knew that all the while we had a steady income in you you don't make the difficult decisions do you you're not you make your best decisions actually when you're quite hungry hmm. and 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 the uh the the proverbial wolf is is moving closer, well if you know that so i say this to people all the time if you know that you know let's say for example in three months you have to make it work yeah you know and there's a, there's a great saying again which is it, there isn't a lack of resources there's a lack of resourcefulness you'll, yes. you'll find a way yes you know particularly it's a life and death thing of course you would yeah, right yeah. Um, you do whatever it takes and I think sometimes if you give yourself too much comfort and this is across all areas it's not just about business but it does work in business give yourself too much comfort then it's it's much easier to 
not move as fast, yeah. take the, take that decision, those sort of elements. Yeah. So then the next part of the story was that um, Rob did come out, was massively out of his comfort zone, but then the accumulator in him that needs, um, that has very high responsibility and very high need for security meant that he then jumped straight into the Navy. <laughs> oh, okay. So he didn't quite, okay. So he found, he found a pathway which was going to be, he okay, found, I get it. He found, he found, he found a, an alternative that um, gave, that, in, that, in all, that ticked some of the boxes in as much as it began to give us a bit more security in terms of being in one place. Um, and the promise of actually being up here, up in up in um, South Lincolnshire, for for a consistent period of time, um, and and I think I think he would say actually in retrospect that that was the wrong decision to make, but it made him feel better because you know he has a very strong value around responsibility and 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 the need to to need for security. So we moved up here, and I continued to to grow the business, and Rob was helping me. Um, and then um, all the while saying, you know, actually that we've just got to get this to a point where it's big enough for you to leave, which of course is not burning the boat at all. And, and I was saying to him, but you know, this is, all the while we've got this, all the while we've got this income coming in, it's, it's, we're not going to make, and I'm doing it on my own, and I'm only one part of this, 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 prof, this, this success profile. Um, you know, we need both of us in it. Uh, cutting a long story short, he did, he did in the end leave. Um, and um, we began to really put some momentum behind the business, growing, growing more villas, more countries. Um, we then came across another, another type of product, which is called a holiday, a resort villa complex. Okay. So villas, away from the individual hotel rooms, but villas on a resort that have um, more that have more services. So hot and cold running maid service, um, restaurants, and actually that that kind of product is really fabulous for. for for families it's it offers a lot more of, of a holiday a lot more of a break you're not doing all the cooking or the cleaning it's it's you know it's amazing to come in and find your hotel room your, your villa has been cleaned while you've been away that's that's a ridiculous pleasure isn't it when you're when oh, you're absolutely. a parent we tend to do more of that i know <laughs> I t- well i totally agree just because we want it to be a holiday yeah so you exactly. don't want to, have to you don't want to be just doing what you would do at home in a maybe yeah. nicer environment you know hopefully but you want to have some other luxuries that's called. I totally agree. I totally agree. And so that became and actually that that product when we put it to to our to our database, we could see the resonance happening. It, it when we first sent out a newsletter, started putting it on the website, we had enormous amounts of engagement and, and, and you can feel you could feel the energetic resonance that happened when you put that product in front of people. Um, and that, and that's when you know you put when you read the stories about people who put a product out to market and it just goes massive. You know, we hadn't seen that kind of massive growth until the point where we put these villa resorts out, um, and that was in Tenerife, in in um, the Canary Islands. And how many years into from, from from let's say from when it was tots to travel, so not yeah. so much the first piece. How yeah. many years in did you find? I mean, this is product? what this is what year eight. Right. So a long time. So before that, it was literally just people's villas. Yeah, I can people's imagine villas. exactly, and then having that sort of aggregation, and then being yeah. able to get the audience. Yeah, um, exactly. And we done and we'd done that. You know, reasonably successful. We'd seen we'd seen strong growth. Um, we we'd fought our way through a recession and still seen the growth. So, and there's there's always been a lot of interest in what we do. Be, be, mums mums who are particularly our audience, there are dads involved, but mostly it's mums making the buying decision, really get what it is we are doing and they get the authenticity of it and they get the integrity of it. And, and, and so there's always been a lot of interest. Um, we then began to put more villa resorts onto the website. They they solved uh, to, 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 
to your point about scaling, they solved this really critical point about how do you scale a holiday business? Because now behind the 16th of August, you haven't just got one week, you've got maybe 78 villas that you can sell 78 times. So one web page, one set of owners, one so set of contracts. So what happened to the business at that point? I mean, obviously it's successful, it's making money off, off what you had been doing for whatever, seven or eight years. And yeah. then you bring this in, what happened? Did it just jump? It, yeah, there was there was an inflection point. Wow. Yeah, for okay. sure. Um, and 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 then we began to put, you know, then there then we began to put more resorts onto the site, and 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 that that did begin to see a steady growth. The challenge we then met with, as the internet is evolving and becoming more mature is this question of um, disintermediation. So we call this the Mr. and Mrs. Smith problem. You know, I know you, the you, sites. Yeah, I mean, maybe some people are quite. We've got eighty-two countries okay. listening, yeah, <laughs> so a so a lot of those don't have those brands, but. I suppose you've also got the Airbnb scenario. Is that, yeah, is that I mean, different? So, so Mr. and Mrs. Smith, for, for those who aren't in the UK market or the US market, this it's a, it's a luxury boutique hotel website. And, and it, it, it started before the internet. So it started with a directory that you could literally buy in a, buy in a bookshop. And, and it's really you know, a very beautiful prestige mm-hmm. brand. The, the, struggle, the struggle for them is that you will go onto that website and and have a look for a beautiful um, boutique hotel in Marrakesh, for example, and then go. Oh well, where else shall I? I'll just have a little look on the internet and see where else I can find it. Either because you you're cheaper. either because you're looking for more pictures, or you're wanting to get it cheaper, or or you're just having a bit of a nosy round. And um, and and that. So and then in the end, you end up making the purchase somewhere completely different from where you originally found it. Got it. So that that process is, is, has is called disintermediation, and I, I think it's a bit it's a big challenge on the internet. Um, and I could see that we were having exactly that problem. We were promoting these resorts in Tenerife, for example, and people would get people would have a look, and then they'd do a Google search and find it on Expedia or Booking.com, or even book it directly with the hotel itself, which was deeply frustrating because in the end we were just becoming a very expensive research portal, and I could see that 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 was completely unsustainable. That if we carried on doing that, we would just we would we would be we would not be here in five six seven years time and I think it's a massive challenge that um, many travel businesses in particular but also in other industries have is is that they they have got this problem with disintermediation I mean Amazon Amazon is the you know there's the prime place where people are going to find the same item but but cheaper mm-hmm. um, cheaper or quicker or more convenient or any of the other reasons that people might buy. Um, and so I, so I was scratching my head thinking, okay, what's, what's the answer here? And to my mind, the only answer was to start creating our own product that nobody else, you couldn't get anywhere else. So so had felt some frustrations with this resort in Tenerife, for example. You know, I, I knew that from a family-friendly perspective, it could be much, much better. You know, British families feed their children breakfast at seven o'clock in the morning. Well, in Spain, you don't even start to open the restaurant until eight, eight thirty. Um, then British families feed their children at five. Well, Spanish children eat at ten. So you could see the cultural issues. I thought there was a lot more room for play. I was looking at how families use their time on holiday, particularly families with young children, and and was recognising that actually there was just so much more potential for these resorts, but they they couldn't see it themselves. And so I spoke to a couple of resorts and said, look, you know, we could make this a lot, if we, if we could, if we deepened our partnership, we could make this a lot better. And they were saying, oh, but I don't want to upset my golfers and I don't want to upset my romantic couples. I don't want to go all in as a family friendly resort. Um, 
So that was happening on the one side, but then on the other side was this disintermediation and, and knowing that we needed to create our own product that we owned, that we controlled the channels that you couldn't buy on booking.com or anywhere else. The cats are going bonkers. The cats are going crazy. They were <laughs> listening to you. Maybe they're excited <laughs> by all of this. Um, and so, so, so I began to explore that concept. Um, and and the, the long and short of it was that I ended up um, I ended up going out to investors um, with with the idea of of growing growing the business, and and this idea this concept of of creating our own resorts, and we got investment into the business to do that. And these are just some of the things I think I, I, the podcast I did actually a couple of weeks ago was around how you scale by acquisition, but mm-hmm. in, in many cases I could have said that's how you scale by partnership as yeah, well. Yeah. So just to be clear on it, so you're not necessarily buying these resorts, yeah. you're not buying the land and all that sort of thing. You're buying the inventory, yeah, so, or a season almost, or whatever. Yeah. So what? So what we do is we in the, in the travel industry it's called a guarantee, but in in property world it's called a rent rent contract. Right. So effectively we we rent say in the Canary Islands, we'll, we'll go to a resort and we'll say, right, we'll have those 50, 50 villas and we'll have them for every night for the next 365 days. So you take the risk? We take the risk, Got yeah. The, yes, yeah, so we take a, fi- a, a large financial risk because it's our risk. That it's your inventory. It's our inventory. So that does a couple of things. It means that we, um, it means that we take the financial risk in as much as if we don't sell it, we don't make any money on it. But it does mean that we can start to control the experience much more. So I can start to say, actually, we do want breakfast at seven o'clock in the morning and we do want um, the highest level of, of, you know, the best quality gin and we want, you know, all the things that mums so and dads... You, if, just so I understand also for everyone else. So if, if you take, as you said, you take that amount of inventory for a period of time, the staffing at the resorts, they're still there. That's still part yep. of the cost. Yep. So you're not having to yep. bring your own staff in. Yep. But you can then brief the resort to make sure that those things are happening. And what about what about sort of tailoring the rooms and all that? Is that your cost or their cost? Um, it, it really, the the contracting and the negotiation is incredibly complicated. I can imagine. And we bought- Particularly from what you said beforehand, that you know, what you've done is you've created very focused niche. Yes. And you know, there's a bit around that. Whereas if you know a lot of the hotels, certainly from my experience in the travel industry, is they do like to spread better a bit, yeah, which they is do. which is difficult, particularly yeah. for that. But you've you've managed to convince them commercially, and I can see the benefit to them as well is that you know they've just sold out what they need to sell out, so they don't yeah. have to you know yeah. be as worried about yeah. having the the same problem that you've now picked up. So they, so yeah, let let I, let me unpick this a little bit. We. The first resort we went, we, we partnered with is actually a really good example. They had had some very restrictive, not particularly profitable Thomas Cook contracts okay. um, that were um, that kept kept the kept the resort pegged at sort of low three star. And so, and actually, so it's actually a distressed, and again, it's a di- distressed inventory play. They they very much wanted to bring their resort more up market, and they wanted to get rid of those Thomas Cook contracts. And so in partnering with us, they saw the opportunity to upscale the resort, bring in um, a different type of market and become much, much more niched in their in their approach um, and fill their fill their inventory more because we're 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 marketing to a segment that doesn't travel in doesn't specifically travel in July and August. And so for them, the win for them was in the ability to be able to make their resort more valuable. And that has happened. That has wow. happened brilliantly. And this strategy, when did you first adopt this 
So there's a few different pivots here in the business, which is interesting yeah. you're talking about. Well, certainly evolutions is yes. the best way. Yes. When did you start this? So we got the investment into the business in August of 2016, okay. and we contracted our first resort in the November and had it on sale by December. Wow. Okay. In real, so real, you know, big action. Um, very, very much minimum viable product. We had 10, 10 villas on that resort. Um, I saw the opportunity to to do some interior design to make the kids' bedrooms much more family, much more, much much sweeter. To put um, a play concept inside the rooms, to put more play outside. So there was a lot more for families to do. One of the things that that I, I was hearing from families, and I totally get, is that at home, they're either mums and dads are either at work in which case they're busy and the kids are at childcare, or they've got a, a full schedule of things going on through the week, be it tumble tots or swimming lessons or um, music with mummy or whatever. And so the spectre of unstructured time is one of those pains. And I knew from my teaching days that, that actually we could create something that was m- much gentler, much more engaging, just provided families with pockets of things to do during the during the time, you know, 20 minutes before breakfast, half an hour before lunch, you know, those pockets of, pockets of the day before before the the main structure of a, of a of a toddler's day pans out so the meals and the naps and so on um and so so we launched in in the december january with 10 units it created a um a community so a tribe of families in the same area of the resort who were going through the same stage in their lives which they which was a really interesting i did kind of see that that would happen but i didn't expect mums and dads to really love that aspect of it so you've got you what you've got really is 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 this experience economy of families going to a place and experiencing something that's been tailor-made for them um, where they meet other people going through the same stage of their lives and them having a much much more satisfactory holiday so that started in 2016 and we actually put bought on two small ones at the same two small resorts one in france one in spain so we launched with three okay and then the big leap has been 18 to 19 where we've gone from three resorts to seven and more than 50% of our inventory is now under our under our TOTS exclusive experience. So I was say, the question that came into my mind was, if you go back to the beginning and you say, actually, the model was this and then the models evolved to, yeah. you know, there's sort of almost three dimensions, if yeah. you like. So the yeah. bills was the second one and the third one is yeah. now you having your own inventory. <clears throat> what percentage of the business now is, if you're thinking about from maybe a revenue perspective, is across those three areas? Have you moved almost a lot of it away from those single country farmhouses in France? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, the big, in retrospect, and we didn't know that we had this, the big, big challenge, and probably the thing that has really stopped our scaling over the years, is we didn't have enough inventory to sell. Right. We just, so you were selling out in some cases? We were, we, we were selling out, and because we didn't have exclusivity to those, to those villas or those rooms, we, um, we were in a race, really, to sell the weeks. Um, and so we just never had, and you, and you never know, we never had enough inventory and you never know really how much inventory you've got to sell. So you, you don't know how many cans of beans you've got to sell. Wow. Okay. So, so that's really difficult from a planning and a financial totally. perspective yeah, yeah. and working out kind of. Yeah. And your marketing, how much marketing do you do? You don't <clears throat> yeah. know how much inventory you've got to sell. So that, so that was, that was the big, the big challenge that we had. Now in going up to seven resorts, obviously our risk has massively increased, but actually we, we, we have more than. I mean, on a day-to-day basis at the moment, almost 80% of our bookings are, are TOTS exclusive bookings now. Um, is that more profitable? Yes, because, because we have much more control over all of the commercials. Mm-hmm. We, and and we, the, the criti- actually one of the main things is now that we effectively own the inventory, we can begin to use online booking 
So we've put online booking through through the website. Now over 50% of our bookings are coming through the, direct, directly through the website now. Wow, so the cost therefore of the admin as you had before, yeah. that liaison between owner, for example, that's been That reduced. was, yeah. So we would, in previously we would have to go and request a week from owner. So you're owner. more profitable now? We, we, we're, we'll be just under break even. We've obviously done a great, yeah. we've done a big... Because you've big, done the investment obviously. We've in done a massive, yes. we haven't had any more investment into the business since 2016. So we've done all of this growth out of cash flow. Yes. Um, so, that, so we will be just under break even this year. Um, it's also been an incredibly difficult year with Brexit. Um, the travel industry as a whole is 10% down. Yeah. Um, Thomas Cook have, have, have only sold 57% of their inventory. And it's a, it's a price-led market, so, so the revenue is down. But actually, we are, last month in May, we were 290% up wow. month, May on May. I mean, the, the, the numbers are staggering. So I want to just to just to kind of one of the things I always do on the podcast is just try and sort of make this practical for mm-hmm. people. So it's, you know, there's a lot of stuff in what you've been saying. In fact, there's quite a lot of different lessons, if you yeah, like. I just yeah. want to kind of unpack them a bit just to kind of be clear. So, so if you think about that journey, um, and let's go back from pretty much the beginning to where you are now. There's been a lot of, as you said, you've had to really understand the market, and you've had to flex, and you've had to change, which I think is a really interesting entrepreneurial mm-hmm. insight in its mm-hmm. own right. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? What if you if you're going to articulate that journey about what you've learned, the lessons? What are the top, say, three lessons you've learned over that journey? You know, and, and they can be positive ones that you've had yeah. to learn from. They yeah. could be, you know, ones that you're still challenged from, but. You know, if you, oh, if you think about it, you're going to constrain me to three. I know there'll I be know. more. You can do more. You um, can do more. But I think, I think, I think it's been, I think it's been a big <laughs> lesson in experimentation, mm-hmm. and really the importance of having something highly differentiated that is yours to sell, that nobody else can sell it, yeah. and that you have control over the chart ch- channels and the margins. That's been a massive, a massive learning, and 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 a big risk, um, but a massive learning. Um, I'll put mindset last. I think the uh, the other big part of this is the people part of the puzzle. I think that is a hugely complex problem, challenge. Sounds like you've been deliberate around it and putting some, as I said, intention. Oh. Sounds like you've 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 done more than a lot of people do. Because a lot of people go and just hire people and they and they kind of think they're just going to fit. But it sounds think, like you've created a little bit more than that in the business. Well, I think. Um, I think you learn the lessons, don't you? In 2016, when we got the investment into into the business, I think we made a mistake that a lot of I know now that a lot of businesses do, which we we had we had the plan and we on the money came in and we went okay right well, we now we're going to deliver on our plan, and so we hired a whole bunch of people, and we hired it with hired them without having the cultural focus in place first. I.e., what is what is the culture here at TOTS, a deliberately created culture. So a few months in, Rob and I looked around and went, well, who are, who are all these people? They're not behaving particularly nicely. Um, you know, there, 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 were, there, was, there was definitely definitely stuff happening then where you go, wow, okay, that doesn't align with, with my values. And so... Had you been clear at that stage about what the values of TOTS were? No, because I think up until that point... Um, you know, we we hadn't we didn't have huge numbers of people, and there's a point where actually it all happens organically. You know, you 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 pick up you 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 are organically hiring people who match your values because you're not in any mad rush, um, and people pick up your values and the values of the business organically because they're working so closely with you every day. I think the minute you begin to scale, the culture has to be incredibly well thought through and very very deliberate 
Um, and we didn't have that piece in place before in 2016. So we stripped away some of the people and very consciously, um, certainly for the last 18 months, very consciously, deliberately creating um, what it means to be a TOTS, a TOTS, uh, what it means to be at TOTS. Okay. It's interesting because that, that point it comes up a lot as well. So, and a lot of people, I mean, what I say, my advice yeah. now is even if you're one, two, three employees, yeah. work on your culture. Yeah. Work out what it means. And that can still be sort of, you know, your personal values because they probably are going to yeah. be your personal values and your own personal mission. But you've got to get that right. I agree. And, yeah, and, I totally then, agree. But, but to be clear, not no one does it. Well, and, and I think because <laughs> there's so much chaos going yeah, on at that yeah, point that so you don't much. have time to think about. And it. I think also that you know, certainly 13 years ago, people weren't talking about culture in the way that they are. You know, it's 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 the topic. It's the topic of the moment, isn't it? Culture. It's it has been. I think culture in some cases is the wrong word because in many cases I, I think of it more about. You know, I always talk about results, right? So yeah. what's the result we're trying? And the result doesn't always have to be a financial result. It's the result yeah. is the outcome of what the, the business and the mm -hmm. mission is. Mm -hmm. And so therefore the environment has to support the mission. So is that culture? Is that something yeah. else? And you, the point you made, I think, which is probably the most poignant, is if you've got people coming in and their, their values, their beliefs, what they're good at, what they like doing fits, they're going to they're gonna work, yeah. right? I always yeah. say it comes down to both um, attitude and aptitude, because what you don't want to have is people who are not that engaged, because yes, they're just coming yes. there to take a job. You yeah. want people who really believe in what you're doing. Yeah. But that you can create it early on, it's just people just don't do it. I think, um, and, and even today, I'm, I'm, I've got a team meeting this afternoon and I'm, and I'm presenting to the team a stepped up version of, our, of what it means to be at TOTS. And, and now, for me, it's all about impact. It's all about yeah. how do we make, I, I, you know, we, we will help, um, and I profoundly, I profoundly believe that actually what we are doing at TOTS is, is very, very purposeful. It, it, it is really helping families to be stronger and go back into, into their day-to-day -day lives having had this opportunity to, to reconnect. I, I feel profoundly that that's a very valuable thing to be doing in the world. So that, so, so that the concept as a whole has impact, that our team, that we are building the team so they also have impact, i.e. that they are purposeful in what they're doing, that they, that they are being led with a clear, clear set of values, a clear vision. We, we've instigated traction through, the, through mm -hmm. the business so that they, um, they are purposeful in what they're doing every yeah, day. Perfect. Um, Talent Dynamics allows them to understand um, exactly where their brilliance is and so that they are in flow, or the ideal is that they are in flow, they are coming to the office every day, um, doing something that they love, surrounded by other people who are of a very high level. So I feel that is very, very important. And if they are feeling valued and purposeful, then they go back out into the world um, in an altruistic way and can give more to their community. So there's impact happening in those two areas. And lastly, the third area is, is, around, is around giving. And we're just about to implement um, B1G1 into the business, okay. which is this concept of, of small impacts, small numerous so this, impacts. I mean, I think uh, there's always, um, of the few interviews I've done so far, um, there's always a couple of things that jump out mm -hmm. and they're always a bit mm -hmm. different. So the mm -hmm. stuff you've just articulated, I think is the, is the lesson in this mm -hmm. because there's a, whole, there's a whole heap of stuff in that, <laughs> yet yeah. again, to summarize it. Yeah. But you know, I fundamentally believe through scale up, if you can get people who are, you know, there's, there's a lot of growth, there's a lot of contribution in what you just said, there's a lot of you know, people buying into it, but yeah. that's how you get to proper scale. 
because yeah. you know that's some um, i always say one plus one equals three if you can get people behind that yeah um everything becomes a lot easier i think i think it feels that that is is the is is happening it does feel that that is happening um and then back to your question about the third yeah, you had a third, third one yeah so i well, I, I don't <laughs> think i don't think as entrepreneurs we can escape the importance of mindsets and the importance of the importance of the way we way we think um we we have definitely, and I say we, as in Rob and I, have done an enormous amount of work on our mindset over the last 10 years um, to ensure that we are resilient enough for this journey. It's it's not a it's not an easy one to be on, and I I think you know 13 years in, um, it's 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 definitely definitely not an easy easy journey to choose by any any. And shape. what sort of things, if you think about that? So I you know mindset comes up on the podcast almost every mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. in some ways. In fact, what's funny about it is I was. Talking to someone the other day, and um, lots of people don't want to talk about mindset because yeah. they don't quite get it, but yeah. they don't realise it's the game. Yes, yes. Seventy <laughs> percent of your success, I think, is the latest statistic in business, be it yeah. startup or scale up, is mindset. Yeah. So what have just just briefly, because I'm I'm conscious, been very grateful for your time on on today and the stuff we've shared. What is it about mindset? How has that changed for you over your journey? And mm-hmm. and what do you do? I mean, how do you make sure that that's top of mind? Because obviously, you've, you've always got to have a strong mindset, yeah. particularly as you go through the challenges of business. Yeah. I think running a business is is a bit, it's particularly a business that you have big ambitions for, is like is is akin to being an elite athlete. So I think it's about treating yourself as a, as as an elite performer. So what does an elite performer need? Well, fundamentally, you need the building blocks of of sleep, fitness. Um, a really good diet um, I think you need to feed your mind really positive stuff you need to be surrounded by really you know you need to be surrounded by like-minded people um, you need to be you need to be doing doing all sorts of things that um, that people um, don't otherwise do um, and I think and that all takes a lot of work so if you look at our day-to-day routine now it's 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 very different from what any what what I think normal looks like to the rest of the world. So we wake up early, we, we meditate, um, we um, get up and, and do some, some fitness. So we'll either go to the gym or we go for a run or we do, we do some uh, qigong or some yoga. Yeah. Um, we have a very, very carefully designed breakfast that doesn't have lots of rubbish in it. Um, we, we then we walk our son to school, so that's a really important right, okay. uh, point in our in our day where we um, where we where we where we take time out to be to be to be together. I don't see very many other par- I don't see any other couples actually walking their children to school every no, day. That's a rare thing. It's a really rare thing. <laughs> I mean, the majority of stuff is there's, there's chaos in the morning, depending you know, and yeah. people are just kind of thinking about what their day is going to be, as opposed to yeah. deliberately making that intentional. Yeah. You know, around relationships and, and everything else. Really important. Then we do we'll come back and do our gratitude diaries. We yeah. plan our plan our days using our productivity planner. So we're looking we're looking at how do we how do we optimize our time. Um, it's it's quite it's quite draining managing thirty people because there's a, we spend a lot of time in meetings. Um, we um, come back for a so and we need to give a lot of energy. We need to give an enormous amount of energy, and people are looking to us for leadership. Um, so we need to stay high energy through the day. So all these things really are building towards high energy and resilience. Um, we come home for a healthy lunch. Sometimes we'll meditate again at lunchtime. We'll go back. We'll either work from home or, or back to the office for, for more stuff. I like to keep my week quite varied. So I like I do like to, to go to London. I do like to go and meet, have meetings. I know I know from my personality profile 
what I uh, what I do best in my flow, which I think we were talking about um, Di Martini earlier, weren't we? Yeah, John Di Martini. So um, and again, we'll put some um, references in the show notes around yeah. this stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there is there's a piece. There's a lot of stuff in this. Like this could be a separate episode, but we're going to go into um, around energy and focus and yeah. all those sort of things. But you're you're right to suggest that if you don't plan your days, if you don't even it doesn't matter about whether they've got variety or not. If you don't plan your days, your day happens. Yeah. So other people will take control yeah. of it. Yeah, you don't want it to be the case. And I think I think the the, the, the piece about personality profiling is is about understanding where you are in your flow and where you get the most energy from. I know if I spend if I spend any time or too much time doing spreadsheets or fixing computers or trying to you know trying to work out how things work I know that that's very draining for me I'm I am in my best when I am being creative when I'm being strategic when I'm coming up with solutions to to, to problems um, that that is that or, or indeed I'm meeting people going out and about meeting people that that's the best use of my time within the business um, and that's where I feel the most energized and where I feel the most in flow and the happiest um, the, the the other stuff drains the living daylights out of me and and I'm not very good at it so that's and so how much something I again a great a great point and the way you've articulated what you do and the discipline behind that's fantastic how much of your business success do you put down to this yourself personally I think it's everything. I because I think the, a thirteen year year long trip like this would have would have would have probably have brought us down one way or another if we hadn't had this strength of strength of mind and strength of mindset and purpose and vision and and mindset's got so much to it. There's so many bits to it, isn't it? Yeah, there? it's a word that's often misused, um, and as I said, it scares people because they yeah. kind of don't get their head. Yeah. They don't understand what yeah. it is. I mean, my summary of it has always been: it's what you do day in day out some people call it habits yeah that affect affect how you think feel yeah. you know around anything so it's an important piece if you don't have the right emotions around yeah. anything in life yeah. relationships business how you feel about yourself mm-hmm. then of course mm-hmm. that's going to have a wider impact on everything you do yeah and i think you know i think it's easy to not see the importance of things like the gratitude diary of affirmations we were talking about that earlier um the meditation has been enormously important for me i think it's it's the way my brain is an always on brain the only time i it switches off is when i, I actually we have what's called a bed of nails which we were talking about. again we were well, talking yeah, about yeah i mean you can mention it on the show too because we we're talking about barnaby before and the sliding door oh, moments yes, you know yes. he's, he's now gone and started his own thing hasn't he so. he really has yeah so barnaby barnaby's now 17 um and and has has created um I think because you very kindly said that um, children who are living in entrepreneurial families can't help but be influenced by by their entrepreneurial parents. So he at 17 has started a, a business called Thrive Kit, um, which is around mental well-being. It's around um, watching some of his some of his very dear friends suffering from the mental illness, mental challenges that our young people are, are suffering from. Um, and um, he's created this this Thrive Kit, which has three modules in it to, to do with rest and relaxation, to do with affirmations, and to do with um, gratitude. And um, and and he's now he's now becoming a, a, a thriving entrepreneur himself, which is really exciting to see. But we we use that bed of nails, for example, twice a day. It it does enormous it does amazing things in releasing serotonin and endorphins and so on, but really aids sleep. Um, and so that and meditation together for me have been very and now important. I have one. And now you have one. <laughs> now I have one. So I'm going to look forward oh. to the, the pain of meditation <laughs> on a bed of nails. But no, I mean, you... just, I mean, you know, I, 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 it's funny because um, Scale Up Your Business, the feedback I've had over the last three or four months since starting it 
has been the um, the amount of detail we go into some of this stuff because mm-hmm. it's not it's not plastered on the the title of the episodes yeah. as such, but it just comes up all the time. Yeah. And as I have more conversations with people who are successful in terms of both achievement and fulfillment, and both are critically important, um, there's a balance to how they're managing themselves around whatever is mindset. Mm. It's not just mm. about being good at something or being driven or being focused. Those things are critical in, in many cases, but it's about how you balance yourself, your energy, yeah. how you feel about yourself and others, giving back as much as taking, you know, there, mm, there has mm, to be some balance. Mm. So you've articulated that very well. I, I, I think I've, I've always thought you never know which bit of it is working, <laughs> do you? you? You don't know whether it's the supplement, you know, whether it's the omega-3 or the, or the um, gratitude diary or the protein shake or the exercise. You never really know. Well, the answer is all of it. Yeah, but you don't. Yes. So, you, so, 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 in answer to that, is you have to, you have to throw everything at it, and you have to do the bits that you you don't want to do. What we tend to do as human beings is we tend to pick and choose the bits we want to do first, which is why I think it becomes such a long journey. Is because you know, on day one we do, oh well, I think I could manage a little walk, or I think I could manage to, I could probably manage to change my breakfast cereal. I can, I could, could stomach that, but actually. There's a lot more to do, and if you throw all of it at it quite quite quickly, you get a lot of it. You, the two you, things are you don't want to get overwhelmed, right? So, and then a lot of people try and look for perfection, yeah. right? And therefore, actually, and I say to people quite um, directly, that's a form of procrastination in its own yes, right. Yes. And the one I I've, I've suggested this on the podcast a few times. There's a book by a guy called Hal Elrod, which is called The Miracle Morning. Which yes, is, uh, I love Hal. It's great. It's quite. Yeah. It's been around for a while now. The reason I always recommend that as a starting point is. In the program of, I think it's six different things he has, um, which is meditations mm, in their exercise, mm, mm, visualization, affirmations. Mm. Um, there's a way of doing that in just six minutes. Yes. So everyone can find six minutes. Yes. So whether you want to make it a masterpiece of how, you know, two hours or whether you yeah. want to just do something, it's a starting point. And more often than not, it's just about doing it. And I think there is a balance between starting, starting gently, but it not taking you a decade to achieve. Because then you won't do it. Because, well, because then it just all, you know, it's, it's just going to be a very long no, journey. Exactly. And people, people, you know, it's like anything. I think you've got to, you've got to try stuff. I always say, try it on. You yeah. know, and what works for you will be different to me. Yeah. But if, if it's about getting you um, more focused on delivering your goals and outcomes and, and you need to kind of make sure that you've got the energy, you've got the mm-hmm. right mindset mm-hmm. for that, then these are the tools yeah. to do it. I've got having an interesting conversation with my daughter at the moment who's 15 and um, I'm saying to her, you know, you really should try and have a protein shake before you go to school because being at school is exhausting and, and um, you know, part of, part of, part of um, the challenge of being a teenager is keeping your energy consistent. And she said to me this morning, oh, I don't really like it. It's all powdery and da, 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 da. And, and in the end, I do think with some of these things, you've got to do them even if you don't like them. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I find that sometimes with books, you, know, you start reading a book and you think, oh, this is, this is really hard work. Yeah. And there's yes. a few that I won't mention on this episode that I've started recently. But I sort of think that actually the fact that they are hard work is the reason I should do them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Good. Okay. So just to finish off, because I said you've been very generous with your time. I think there's a heap of stuff in here. Um, is there one bit of advice you would give to people who are, let's say, in the journey of, there's a point in the middle of startup to scale up. Yeah. I call it the sort of chaotic or the wilderness where yes. it feels like you're cash poor, time poor, yeah. I'm going to give up, whatever. If you can sort of think back to the time when that was for you, is there any bit of advice you can give to um, listeners today around how you, how you deal with that? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. And I think it comes numerous times through a business because there's lots of different points of scale up, aren't there? I mean, I would, say, I would say we're probably in that point again now. I think the importance of your um, personal development is, is key 
at, at those really tough points and that's almost the point where you need to double down yeah. and do more um you know what else what else what else can you do to to, to be stronger fitter um more 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 better managed with your time yeah better more in flow more of the time i think the other part that is really is is really very very apparent is the importance of having really fantastic people around you and those people need to be people you can trust because you can't do it all on your own you'll kill yourself trying to do that um, and i think there are different stages in the business where some people some people not everybody not everybody's brilliant for for the entire journey from zero to 100 million pounds or 200 million pounds or, or more there are different people um especially if you're growing fast you can outgrow people quite quickly um and and building a business is not for everybody so the, i think the whole piece around people is really really challenging um and i think that's why your culture needs to be so strong because you need to be able to attract and keep keep the very very best people fantastic I always finish my episodes with a, um, a bit of a statement, which is be grateful, be brave, have faith, show up. I think you'd like that. I do. <laughs> it sounds good. So thank you very much for coming on the show today. My absolute pleasure.